Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. Is there a Linux or FOSS thing that you didn't try for ages that you regret putting off because it's great? And why didn't you try it? This comes from a conversation I had with someone who still hasn't tried something which is amazing because of the evangelism around it. And that really kind of struck a chord with me because there are certainly things that I still haven't tried that I've been put off because of the evangelism. And uh, I mean, I may as well just say NixOS and Nix generally. But I want to know about stuff that you did get around to trying and that you regretted waiting so long. I think I might have a bit of a cop-out but containers in general, Docker, Podman, of course, Docker was f- kind of first, but that idea of, I guess now the OCI standard compliant containers and runtimes, I never considered how good they could actually be for doing development in, for doing builds in, for running services. I just completely blanked that. Even when I was doing embedded development, did not care. It was mostly virtual machines or the target hardware if I could. Of course, you can't get a really good virtual machine or container of an ARM system, and cross-compiling has always, will always be a pain, so that wasn't really a problem. But even doing things for x86, being able to have that little environment where you don't have to do a cheroot and bind mount a ton of stuff yourself and all of that, I don't know why I was doing it the old way for so long. Well, that's the question. Why? You have to answer us. I think it was because I saw the syntax of Docker run and thought that it looked way too complicated, and I just couldn't learn that right now. I can't figure it out right now. Because, you know, volume mounting and bind mounting things, it's just, it's kind of a weird syntax. And I think that was all that put me off, is I don't know what to do there, and... Either I have this thing around and like it sticks around forever or I remove it after I'm done and then I lose any changes that I wanted. I just didn't, it never occurred to me that it was a thing that I wanted. Well, I still don't use containers much and I think security is one of the reasons. I think for development and stuff, it makes a lot of sense. But for production, I'm still not certain of some of the security aspects of it. And that puts me off from using containers generally. That does make a lot of sense. It's tough to get a really good container that has all of the things you need in it, because of course one of them is probably going to be out of date and that's going to be how you're popped. Or you have to set up 15 different containers for all the services that you need, and that's not ideal either. It has got better, but the ease of use becomes, like with all things, less of a point when you tighten the security down when docker first came along and was king there was an awful lot of fast and loose security practices that went along with it Mm -hmm. and then inappropriate use of that in production and then root exploits and escaping the containerized environment i think work has gone into that but podman can be run rootless there is rootless docker as well now but things like networking are easier of course if you give the container more permissions and you have to put a lot more elbow grease in but it has got better i think joe but i do i agree there's still things to be concerned about whether that's dusty dependencies or the way that it's tooled together 
often I think it's oversold. It's like, yeah, you just do this. It's really easy. You don't even have to think about it. Well, you sort of do. There's still an awful <laughs> lot of popular Docker things, for example, that are binding to the socket. And that is really not a viable thing to be doing. But people do do it because it makes things just work in inverted commas. So I think it's a fair concern to have, Joe, still, I think. Gary presumably is thinking, what are you lot on about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my initial reaction was going to be quite inflammatory and just telling you you're all wrong. <laughs> but given that I'm just back from a conference where I did a talk on container security, I think there are a lot of things you have to consider right. And if you're just pulling random images from Docker Hub or GitHub container repo or whatever, then yeah, sure, like you're going to get some random stuff in there. But it's not any worse than just pulling in a random PPA mm. or pulling in a random deb from somewhere. And in some ways, it's better, right? Because the application is running containerized. By and large, if the container is built properly, it's not running with root on your system. And outside of the Linux world, Docker Desktop actually has got now some really good vulnerability scanning stuff built in it. And I promise this episode isn't sponsored by Docker. <laughs> but that said... I think it's good to treat things with a healthy amount of skepticism. But on the flip side of that, there's nothing that should preclude you from at least trying it. And once you adopt that stuff in production, I think you find that upgrades and things are much quicker. You're getting the latest version of packages from you know, straight from the developers or the software vendor. And you're not dealing with this sort of middleman that is the distro. And I know that people are going to start throwing things at me for saying that because there is a lot of stuff that distros provide that maybe the software vendor doesn't. But equally, I'm not running random pieces of software in production that I don't trust. Generally, it's kind of industry standard things, NextCloud, Grafana, all of that kind of stuff that actually I probably trust where the container is coming from a reasonable enough amount to know that you know, there's not going to be anything in there. And I run all the containers rootless anyway. They've only got the ports passed through to them that they need. And just keep an eye on like the software build of materials. Don't pull random containers from places that's like Jimmy's Nextcloud <laughs> container and run it in production. <laughs> I think it's also, it can be a stepping stone. It depends which direction you go in. But I now have to write definition files for my job. Um, we tend to run what was called Singularity and is now Aptainer and is designed for HPC environments because most of the users just aren't going to have the necessary privileges to run things or follow the install instructions for things. And in the latest versions, you can build things with fake root and satisfy the application to think that you have root, but it's, it's not. And being able to write your own definition files and actually guide users of these systems to write their own definition files can be quite useful as well. So there's a seesaw, isn't there? I think you have to be careful, but there's definitely a lot of benefits. And I'm a big fan of them personally, but I can hear Phelim stick on the door. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. And I mean, don't get me wrong, they're not a solution for everything, right? If you think about something like a live streaming workload that needs UDP traffic in and out of it, and it's really reliant on knowing before before the traffic hits the container what address the return traffic is going to come from or something like that, like that's probably not a suitable use case for a container. But if you've got a standard web app or it's something with just kind of an HTTP or a REST API call, you'll probably be fine. All right, well, my one is ZFS. And funnily enough, 
it was a conversation about ZFS and the evangelism of, I don't know, some random people who <laughs> no one's ever heard of <laughs> that put this other random person off trying it because of that evangelism. And I had a lot of sympathy for that position because, you know, Jim and Alan on Two and a Half Admins go on and on and on about how great ZFS is. And that level of evangelism did somewhat put me off. But then I tried it and now I'm the biggest evangelist that you'll meet. Like I actually, well, I, I did originally just create a ZFS pool that was literally called New Dash Pool because that's what the Ubuntu instructions said. And I w didn't really know what I was doing at the time. But I've since got into Sanoid and Syncoid and replication. And now I know why they were going on about it and continue to go on about it every single week on, on that show because it is amazing. And it was a bit dumb of me to just dismiss it just because they think it's amazing. And it makes me think about NixOS. I mean, I mentioned that at the beginning. The people who love Nix and NixOS really love it. And I've checked it out and, you know, yeah, okay, I kind of get it. It makes me think like I really should spend that time and effort because they wouldn't go on about it as much if it wasn't great. Yeah, it hasn't clicked for me yet. <laughs> I have to say, <laughs> I have tried it a bit and I've tried it at work where in theory, the things that Martin said are very useful. When I was talking just now about containers where users of our system don't have administrator privileges, this could be a great solution because we do hit what Martin has talked about before, which is you write a container file, you leave it for a few months, you run the build again, and it doesn't build the same thing. And I absolutely get where it's coming from. But it really, it's like trying on a pair of shoes in a shop that you really like the look of, and they're awfully uncomfortable. And every so often you walk past the same shop and you're like, but I think these would be really good. And you try them on again, and it's just not clicking. And some stuff does do that. And this hasn't for me. And I appreciate that some people who might be familiar with Haskell or they just like to have declarative configuration that they, you know, I just pull from GitHub and it's all done and it's there. I completely understand, but it just leaves me as cold as a wet fish. It's funny, that shoe analogy seems really apt, you know, because some of the most comfortable shoes are really uncomfortable for the first few days that you wear them. But then when you break them in, they are amazing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had the discussion about Nixos a few times in our Telegram channel. And I'm absolutely the kind of person that it should appeal to. Like everything I have is ephemeral. It's all done using Ansible. It's all reproducible. And yet it still just doesn't quite hit the mark. And I think it is, it's one of those things where if everyone's shouting about it, I just, it puts me off for some reason. <laughs> i tell you what it is to continue the shoe analogy, which might be a dangerous uh -oh. thing to do, <laughs> is with some stuff, I'll be like, okay, I feel this. It's fairly familiar. It's a bit different. A bit of it's like this, a bit of it's like that. Whereas this is like buying a pair of shoes and you ask where the laces are and someone says, no, 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 you just jump up and down three times and then they're done up. <laughs> mm, okay, that's cool. But that's the thing. Nothing in there is familiar enough for me to latch onto, to really run with it. And also... I hate to say it because I know Martin especially is putting a lot of effort into this. The documentation is like someone just picked up a puddle full of vomit and threw it at a wall. It's, <laughs> it's so difficult to get. And then you look something up and you think, oh, okay, I understand that. And someone else says, no, you should be using flakes. Okay, what are flakes? No, that's not explained well enough. And maybe it will just take time 
and it will come together. But that's how I feel. And all of that is to say, I want to reiterate before people start bashing away at their keyboards and, and firing off angry emails at me. <laughs> it definitely has a huge number of advantages, definitely reproducible environments to a T, having multiple versions of things, everything about it is brilliant. It just isn't brilliant for me yet. I think it just hasn't had its Ubuntu moment. It's like Debian was great and then Ubuntu came along and just made it really easy, like we talked about recently. And I think Nix and NixOS just needs that moment. It needs someone or a company to come along and just make it easy because I could see us in five years sitting around talking about why did we wait so long to get into this? Possibly, <laughs> but to play devil's advocate to that, Nix is not new. <laughs> It's yeah. it's a decade old, and part of me wonders whether it's possible to bridge that divide. But if it happens, like I say, the benefits of it, if I could get everything to click and reap those benefits, then definitely it's just not happening for me yet. We're not supposed to be talking about Nix, though. We're supposed to be talking about ZFS, which was my <laughs> topic here. And I think we all agreed that ZFS is awesome, right? Absolutely. But it, I think it is cool band syndrome, isn't it? <laughs> when everyone bangs on about a brilliant album you've yet to hear, me personally, I'm like, I, I, every new person that tells me it's brilliant has an inverse proportional relationship to my passion to get a copy of the album and listen to it. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason I've still never watched Breaking Bad. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Banish the end-of-summer blues with HelloFresh. No need to stress about how you'll handle it all this autumn, because HelloFresh takes care of the meal planning and delivers pre-proportioned ingredients right to your home. The key to dinnertime success? Variety. HelloFresh keeps your taste buds on their toes with 40 chef-crafted recipes to select from every week. From family-friendly to fit and wholesome, you'll always find new and exciting recipes to try and to love. Dalton tried HelloFresh and said having all the ingredients together and correctly portioned is super convenient and the great meal selection made it tons of fun to try out new ingredients and techniques. So support the show and go to hellofresh.com slash 50 Linux After Dark and use code 50 Linux After Dark for 50% off plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com slash 50 Linux After Dark and use code 50 Linux After Dark for 50% off plus free shipping. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxafterdark.net slash support. And for either 5 or $10 a month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxafterdark.net. Mine is very simple. And it's just because of experience and it's SSH config files. Uh. It's a very, very simple thing. But honestly, I think it's probably because of not having to deal with SSHing into the volume that I do now that is part of my job. I just never bothered. And I would literally have my bash history as my backup for, you know, I got to a point where I had too many SSH key pairs in my .ssh directory. And so I couldn't just log in, I had to start specifying the keys and the commands would start to get longer with command switches. But I just never configured config files. And then I started my job. And as part of the kind of 
integration with the role they were like and yeah and you just write an ssh config file and i was like oh yeah i've heard of those but i've not ever used them and now i feel like such an idiot that i never bothered to sit down and write these very simple stanzas which allow me the freedom to type an incredibly short command to ssh in to all the different boxes with all of the different configuration arguments bound to a host name that is specific but i just didn't need it so I never tried it. But hang on, there's a much simpler solution. Just have one key pair, no password, use it everywhere, jobs are good at. <laughs> Why are you like this? <laughs> I mean, my solution was going to be go to set up an open LDAP server and put the key in there or something. <laughs> Why are you like this? <laughs> Enterprise IT. <laughs> That's the thing that I often find with Linux is there are certain areas that you don't, get under your belt because there hasn't been a burning need to do them and then suddenly you do and you think wow i've been doing this thing in an incredibly long-winded way for ages like quite a while ago when i discovered pressing the end key would take me to the end of a line instead of holding control and tapping right the whole time. <laughs> stupid things like that like the pennies drop at different times for different things depending on what you're doing and what path you've gone down, I think. You know, control alpha and control echo do approximately the same thing as home and end, yeah? Well, yeah, there we go. So <laughs> this is it. And uh, you just start to get those things under your belt when you need them, I think. And there's so much that is there, I think, in the tooling that you discover at your own pace. Also, I was going to say GNU screen, but that seems like a far too simple of an option. No, it doesn't. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it took me maybe 10 years before I actually used GNU screen, and now I really <laughs> like GNU screen. But actually, the one I've discovered most recently that I wish I'd tried earlier and didn't because of the hype is WSL. Ooh. And I know everyone's going to scream at me because I've talked about Docker and WSL on the same episode. <laughs> Taking our <laughs> Linux away. <laughs> <laughs> However, this week I, I've traveled to a far-flung land and I'm using my work laptop and I wanted to get back into something that was at home. But I wanted to get back into something that had a GUI. And I tried things like XRDP and stuff like that, and nothing was quite hitting the mark. And then I remembered that in a previous job, I used to do all of my work on a Windows remote desktop server. And so on my VM host at home, I set up a Windows 11 VM, and I gave it like six CPU cores and eight gigs of RAM. And I just have been doing all of the normal Linux stuff I do without really thinking about it. And I'd always been put off of WSL because the first version was a bit clunky and disk IO was slow and nothing was really figured out yet. But I got to admit that in Windows 11, using VS Code to do the development in with like the remote dev containers plugin and all that stuff, it works really well. And actually, I could be just sitting at a Linux desktop aside the Windows UX and and just doing my work. And I think that's really a testament to how far it's come since those early days. Just pretend it's XFCE with a Windows theme. <laughs> I mean, it does look exactly the same as XFCE, to be fair. So, you know, it's things like SSH now works really well. Like I can SSH from Windows PowerShell, or I can SSH from inside the WSL container, and it picks up all of the same SSH configs. All of my keys are there. Everything just works. 
I wanted to reuse the Linux version of VS Code. So I just, in the Ubuntu WSL container or whatever you call it in WSL, did a snap install code, tac tac classic. And what it did really amazed me. So it installed the headless version of VS Code in the Linux container. It set up the VS Code headless extension and then opened the Windows version of VS Code and put me into a remote dev environment inside the WSL thing. Whoa. It's just like, that's really, really incredible, right? Just from running the same command I'd use on my Linux workstation at home. And I've been using it all week and it kind of... It just gets out of my way, which is something I just never thought would happen inside Windows. And presumably all your work stuff works really well in Windows. Yeah, I mean, like I'd been using a Linux machine for work for a little while, and there was stuff that was a little bit clunky. Like Slack screen sharing still doesn't work under Wayland. There's a few internal applications that don't work very well. We use an Exchange server, and Evolution is, I'm sorry, but it's like stepping back 20 years in terms of email client. <laughs> So all of that stuff works really nicely. Like I can just use Outlook. I can use you know a web browser like I normally would. But I've got the Linux environment I'm still familiar with. And I think there was a lot of hype early on. You know, there were a lot of really passionate people in the WSL community who were really singing its praises, much in the same way that they are Nix or ZFS now. It's not necessarily the same people. <laughs> it's not the same people. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. not the same people, right? But It's the same energy. Yeah, it's the same kind of energy, and it gives me the same kind of it like makes my skin crawl type feeling. But I wish I'd tried this maybe three or four years ago and it could have probably been a bit more productive because it does just work really nicely. I think you picked the right time to try it though because it's been pretty rough for a while. Yeah, I mean, I tried it when it first came out. Like there was WSL1 and that was a rough experience. You could do a fork bomb that would take down Windows though, which was pretty funny. <laughs> I think you still probably can. I'm not going to try it because I am like an 11-hour flight away from the machine. (laughs) (laughs) But Gary, can you see yourself switching to Windows and WSL full-time, or is this just while you're traveling type thing? Oh, no, this is literally because RDP into a Windows machine is way better than anything else I've ever used. Uh, No, I'm going to stick to probably Linux workstation at home and a Mac to travel with because you can't beat the battery life. So you're trying to tell me that each platform has its own merits and is good in its own way and shouldn't just be totally shunned because it's not the one that you prefer. How dare you? Never, never. (laughs) Maybe that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm literally sitting here recording on a Mac, RDP'd into a Windows machine that's running WSL for all the real work that I need to do. That is incredibly convoluted. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I won't say that I'm using an SSH tunnel to access the Windows box, but I might also be doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. Podman run. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) 